Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Well, we're cranked up and ready to go on MotorWeek podcast number 95. I am John Davis, and joining me around our, uh, our uh, what is this, uh, uh, triangular-like table uh, yes. in uh, Studio geometry. C. It defies geometry. Our producer, writer, and two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Don't know how cranked up I am, John, but I'm happy to be here. I won't go any further with that. Assistant producer, Greg Carlos. Hey, hey. And our writer, Patrick Lucas. Woo! I'm cranked up. Oh, very good. <laughs> and we'll have our lightning round of viewer question later, but um, we're going to go... Um, we spend every winter, at least a, a week it every seems like winter. winter, it seems like a whole winter. Uh, we head down come January right after the Detroit Auto Show to Savannah, Georgia, where for many, many years uh, we've been testing vehicles at a racetrack outside of Savannah in Bloomingdale, Georgia. It's called Roebling Roads. It's a two-mile track. Uh, we put a lot of miles there, and this year we took a, a terrific grouping of cars and we're going to do sort of like a, a mini roundup of of a of four of the cars that we had down there and we will start with the mercedes-benz cla 45 amg which is the uh first time that amg has uh, kind of worked their magic on what is essentially a front wheel drive architecture and it was a pretty interesting car the the cla if you haven't seen the ads that's the thirty thousand dollar mercedes uh uh sedan that's selling so well and uh, let Mercedes beat the BMW in the sales race uh, in the U.S. last year. Uh-huh. With that said, AMG, was the CLA ready for it? What did Roebling tell us? Yeah, AMG turned that into the most powerful four-cylinder production car ever. And uh, it's all-wheel drive, a standard. And uh, it was pretty amazing on the track, really, uh, for a small four-cylinder car, uh, tons of power, uh, all-wheel drive, uh, all-wheel drive helped with the understeer somewhat. Uh, didn't totally eliminate it. Uh, we still took a little tire wear. Hmm. Well, yeah, a little yeah. more than we expected, I guess. Yeah, but that's somewhat due to the track as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, pretty amazing piece, really. Yeah, uh, enjoyable car on the track uh, as well as the street. Um, yeah, the all-wheel drive is great, man. Uh, plenty of grip. And actually, while we were putting together the road test for you guys, um, watching it. We're used to watching the Viper, the 911 slide mm-hmm. around a little bit. This actually didn't slide at all. So, you know, we're looking for cool shots of, you know, the rear end kicking out. But just so much grip, man. It was almost, I don't want to say boring, but, you know. Well, tell me how you were doing something different at Roebling to yeah. get those kinds of shots. We were. And I'm not so sure a lot of our audience has picked up on it yet. Yeah, if they haven't yet, you definitely will soon. Um, we've been We've gotten into the drone game. DSLR pros. Are we uh, delivering packages for Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> delivering road tests soon to you. Uh, no, uh, we've been using uh, a DJI Phantom, which is a drone that I'm sure many people have heard about. It's really it's a four rotor drone. Correct. It's really leading the way in affordable drones for uh, you know amateur cinematographers, what have you. Uh, but DSLR pros outfitted it with uh, new motors. They're called anti gravity motors, which mm. are just more powerful, more balanced. And uh, a few other things, like you get a video monitor. So you get to a point where uh, I was able to just look through a video monitor and not even care where the actual drone was. I was just able to see, you know, firsthand. Uh, Just like a videography, concentrating on the shot. Exactly. And that comes 
directly through um, through uh, radio, and it's almost a uh, uh, there's no delay really in the video, and it's just essentially it's the Hero Three that we have with a mm-hmm. gimbal, and that gimbal allows it to move very smoothly. Unlike the original DJI Phantom was sort of a fixed mount, so it didn't have that smoothness to it. But yeah, it's been great uh, once we get acclimated to it and. Uh, How many times did you crash it before? I crashed it more than I'd like to mention, but, um, you know, a few spare parts later. And Let me tell you, if you haven't watched one of our road tests lately, you need to see the ones from Rolling because Greg just did a bang-up job. Those pictures are just spectacular. You know, the car coming around uh, – uh, what, corner 10? What's the final corner? 9, 10. 9, 10, yeah. and basically uh, – you're at about 120, 130, and it's following the car down. That is spectacular yeah, it's, shot. It's cool getting a new perspective. It'll, uh, you'll definitely notice it when you see it. Speaking of uh, appearances, um, Patrick, you looked at the CLA AMG. Did you think that the effort to make it look distinctive by AMG was good, bad, ugly, adequate? I, th- I liked it. Um, I thought wow. it was much more aggressive than the – 250 the cla Mm -hmm. 250 which is in my opinion nice looking but kind of boring Mm -hmm. um actually pretty boring um yeah (laughs) very aggressive they got the um you know they got the exhaust and they've got the you know the lowered uh front and rear fascias and all that um yeah it really it had that overall kind of um titanium dark titanium look yeah. to it that i thought was pretty sinister i thought it was pretty cool yeah it's like the amg good. color now yeah. all the amg products um the color. interior was nice as well i had a nice premium feel the only thing i had a little fault with and this is in the 250 and it might even be in like the the c and e classes the uh the gauges and some of the switch gear feels a little cheap hmm. something you wouldn't really Expected a Mercedes. Yeah, exactly. That has been some criticism. They of did that. step up in the interior a lot too, which I wasn't really expecting. I mean, it did feel like a whole different car inside, just yeah, the the materials was great. And, and just the way everything looked. It it seemed like a much nicer CLA. It got a lot of looks everywhere we went. Speaking of a car, another uh, German product that we had there that was um, I, a little controversial, just because a lot of people thinks it's just a, a change of the name, is the BMW uh, 4 Series. We had a 435i there, and for those of you that haven't been keeping up, BMW has now decided to uh, take uh, their two doors, both co- coupes and convertibles, and give them an even number, and their four doors, like the 3 Series uh, sedan, will continue with odd numbers. And this was the uh, first effort, the 435i, and... Is it just a renaming, or did we actually come away and think they've done something a little different? No, the BMW's been trying for years to kind of distinguish the coupe from the sedan and the 3 Series. And I, um, they've done it a little more so this time around. I mean, it's still the same wheelbase, uh, some of the same body panels, but not not much. Looks It looks more hunkered down. It looks, looks more, more like serious. it sits a little bit lower, a little bit wider, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, as far as on track, I mean... Everything you've heard from BMW, about BMWs being having less feel and blah blah blah, and it's all true. But I mean, if you get out on a racetrack, they they are still a blast to drive, especially this car, four thirty five tons of power, had all the M Sport brake package, mm-hmm. handling package, and that all that stuff. That's probably pretty important too. And too. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, you got some dull steering feel, but the thing just still gets around a racetrack. Nothing unexpected about it, and I think it's. 
it's great for somebody who hasn't done a lot of track time. And if you want to get into it, if you can somehow get into like a four series, uh, BMW four series, it's a great car to learn a track on because it's uh, it's predictable and it can pretty much handle whatever you throw at it. So uh, I liked it in that aspect. But um, as far as we're going to talk about four series, I did drive the uh, convertible not too long ago. And I think I prefer the coupe over the convertible, just as a a standpoint of looks, honestly. It looks better with the top one. Mm -hmm. I was looking at your comments from spending so much time behind the wheel, and you did seem to make, or at least, Brian, you did uh, in some of your notes, that you felt there was some difference between the three and the four, that maybe the four was a little more driver-oriented and maybe that was part of what BMW was doing? Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to steer people more, you know, if you want the more uh, aggressive style and the more performance, look more towards the coupes, and they're going to try to steer the sedans more uh, towards luxury and family. I mean, there'll always be performance involved in everything BMW does. Yeah. And I think you'll see that particularly in the M3, M4 Coupe, when they, uh, M4 Coupe and M3 Sedan when they come out. I think the M4 Coupe will have a little more in the way of performance than the M3 will. Speaking of cars that basically um, performed well, and in this case probably even better than we expected, uh, Subaru WRX, which uh, got one of our Drivers' Choice Awards this year, and we actually had given it the award before Roebling, but I think in Roebling it equated itself. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, kind of a surprise? Yeah, I was definitely skeptical on on giving that uh, award, and uh, uh, spending that much time on the track with it definitely made a believer out of me. I mean, that track, if you're not familiar with the track, it's a high speed. There's only like one really slow section. The rest is all just high speed. And it has a way of making four-cylinder cars mm-hmm. feel less than adequate, you know. And But that car, for no more power than it has, that thing would get off of corners. I couldn't believe it. Um, stayed flat through the corners. The new six-speed manual was great. What else am I uh, leaving out there, Greg? Um, no, I mean, it was a great car. The If I have to pick something out that I didn't like about it, and this, again, I've driven the uh, STI now, too. And, and, has the and same compare problem. those two too. Okay. Uh, yeah. Just the the one thing that crossed over is if you've driven on a track and you're familiar with heel heel towing, the pedals are separated in a way that it makes it kind of tough to heel tow, and you actually kind of have to roll your foot. It's a little bit weird if you're used to actually physically putting your toe on the brake and your heel on the gas, um, and that might be also because I have a big foot. Um, so that also crossed over in the STI, but the STI was pretty incredible and I, you had to know that it would be um, but they quickened the steering ratio which was really noticeable to me and uh, they stick with hydraulic power steering which is awesome for feel and uh, they stuck with the engine from the previous SDI it's 2.5 liter 305 horsepower which but, they've gotten a lot of criticism for yeah but I, I don't have any problems with that engine it's it's fast enough I mean there gets to a point where you have People will probably kill me for saying this with too much power. Like no, the, the I, M th- I actually agree with you. If you look at the 3 Series <laughs> BMWs, I mean, they got 300 horsepower no. with the 6. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's kind of like, and those cars are terrific. Yeah, I mean, get in get in the new STI. This thing's a blast to drive with the power it has and everything it, everything that's in it now. It, 
I really didn't. I had a lot of fun in that car. But if you can't afford the STI, yeah. the WRX was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. I, the base WRX, I drove it out in California, a little more uh, real-world driving. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a Napa Valley, though, Redwood Forests, um, you know. That's real world. Should we all start yeah. singing? That's no. real-world driving. Yeah. Oh, well, you know. I mean, <laughs> there were other cars on the road. <laughs> um, you know, tight turns, lots of elevation changes, and uh, this thing still, I mean, it drives like a sports car even when you're going... 30, 40 miles an hour. It just feels like a sports car. You spent some time in the CVT, right? I mean, I've heard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we should talk read. about that. Probably. Yeah, I've heard that it's great for CVT, and I've heard that it's horrible. I was not so crazy I, about it. Yeah, um, I don't know. Have we ever true. driven a CVT we were crazy about? Yeah. Well, no, I don't know. But some are better than others. Yeah. But, yeah, I actually own one yeah. of the worst ones. Right. It, doesn't re- it, yeah, it doesn't render the car completely <laughs> Worthless the CBT, but I mean, if you have a choice and you drive stick, yeah. I would absolutely go for it. How so few people will probably do that though. Let's move on to another car, which frankly, uh, if it hadn't been for the Corvette, would have probably gotten our best performance uh, car of the year. Really? Uh, and well, very, I think it would have gotten a lot of votes. Jaguar F Type. <laughs> So, obviously, you're yeah, skeptical. Start this one off, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Let's start this one no, off, no, no, Brian. No. All right, Jaguar I mean, F-Type. We, we had the Roadster, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hard to believe we drove this thing months and months and yeah. months ago. But uh, I don't know. It, it's so pretty it didn't impressive. light your fire, huh? It's, no, no, it's very impressive. But just some things about it. Like, on the track, it was very impressive. But um, we had the V8 supercharged V8S, and uh, it's loud, which is awesome, but mm-hmm. that, it's like a really artificial loud, and it just, mm. it's it sounds cool, like when you start it up, and everyone looks, and that's awesome, but then when you really, <laughs> then if you got to live an, with it's it. An, it's an in-your-face look at me loud, rather than just like yeah. a, you know. And just driving around the track, it, it doesn't sound that great, just driving around the track. How did it feel, though? My impression was, and my limit, much more limited time than yours was, it was pretty impressive performer yeah above any jag that we've driven to this day at least uh, in my tenure here uh turns in super quick uh almost perfect weight distribution is it too Uh, luxurious is that what sort of bothers you about it no i don't think so at all because they it's definitely a driver's car i mean all the switch gears like really big and sporty looking it's got the really big Mm -hmm. paddle shifters everything like the paddle shifters and the start button uh are like a bright orange so Mm it's like anything you would need uh, on the track, you know, you can pick out really easily. But uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not trying to hate on it. I mean, it's a cool car, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just tired of talking about it. <laughs> Greg. Yeah, I, I mean. mean Greg, I have to, if those of you can't see Greg, Greg's a tall guy. <laughs> you know, and, and Jags have not traditionally been He's got a real thick that, beard right now. That, that, <laughs> hey, it's cold in Maryland. I got to stay warm. Um, I was – Pleasantly surprised with his track performance. I've driven the F-Type one in the real world, Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) But in the fake world on the track. um, Yeah, I was a little bit skeptical. I thought maybe it couldn't quite handle the weight. Um, But, yeah, I got out there on a few the first few laps and was able to do more with it than I thought I could. Um, It still will come out on you with the the power oversteer. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful with uh, throttle inputs. Uh, It's just something about that 5-liter supercharger puts out so much torque in that in the XFRS. We're not really being critical about that. We're just saying maybe the average average person is not used to the power. Yeah, if you've never driven on a track and you try and mash a throttle coming out of the uh, the apex, then you're going to be facing the wrong way. Um, But, yeah, it's – 
Uh, now I'm done talking about the F-Type. <laughs> Patrick, anything to add? Um, I can add anything new other than, you know, it's the third time we've had it in the office, and it's still impressive. It's, yeah. it's a rather intimate-feeling cockpit, which I liked, although I have to tell you, the reason I asked Brian the question about luxury is by, when I sat in it, it, it was hard, since I'm old enough to actually remember the, the uh, CD and E types, it was hard for me to feel like I was in a Jaguar purist sports car because it was so nice, but yet it drove well. Yeah, and if they don't make it like that, yeah. then they, the high people, bug are, people gonna, are not going to buy it. We're going to complain about how it's yeah. not as nice as the yeah. Boxer or whatever. Of course. Uh, but another, on the good side, I don't want to be all harsh on it, the uh, automatic, it's automatic only, mm-hmm. which, uh, okay, it sounded like a complaint. All right, well. Yeah, that the, does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the... You know, most automatics, you want to put them in a manual mode if they have it, and sometimes the manual modes are better than those. This had corner logic in the automatic, which sounded really gimmicky, but you could just leave it in sport mode, and uh, it would it could recognize you were in a corner. It wouldn't, you know, upshift when you left off, left, uh, off the throttle. And this so, is not a DSG transmission, mm, right? It's a straight-up automatic. Right? Yeah, but it did a great job. Just leaving it in sport mode. Uh, did a great job. It was always in the right gear for when you're coming out of corners, and it seemed to know the track, you know, where it was at. And so that is a positive thing. It, cool. it is one mm-hmm. of the fastest shifting uh, automatics that I've driven. It's something you would really only expect from a DCT. No more, uh, no more slush box uh, language <laughs> for that. Well, let's leave it on a high note, and everyone is sick and tired, we should say, about talking about the F-Type. So let's move on to a car I th- don't think has even gotten that much notice outside of the automotive press yet and that's the audi q5 tdi boy was i impressed with this diesel audi mm-hmm. uh crossover wow yeah, same engine as we just had in the a8, a8. not too long ago mm-hmm. which was and you can get amazing, it like, what the a6 amazing. and a7 too right yeah pretty yeah. much across the board Audi's heading that way um yeah just amazing amount of torque it it makes you never want to drive a gasoline car again. It was so quiet. I mean, yep. I honestly think it's the quietest diesel I've ever seen. I mean, you, you cranked yeah. it up, and there was just nothing. Yeah, I don't know if it was the car or if it was the engine or if it was a combination of both. But I don't it, remember it, the it just, being that quiet. It, yeah, it just felt so quiet and so refined. And like the, even the start-stop system was not seamless because you noticed mm-hmm. it. But it was very smooth and very, it felt very natural. It didn't feel forced. I mean, the power, it's the same engine, like you said, that's in right. all the TDIs. Felt awesome. A totally fun to drive. Fuel efficient. I mean, I don't know what more you want. A lot could of money. Want. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many people get to experience it. Unlike Mercedes Benz, where they, you know, they're bringing diesels into their sedans and their GLK, their smallest Ute, and At the base price. Uh, they make it the base vehicle. Yeah, you have to spend more to to not get the diesel. So yeah, it's a totally different uh, tactic. And it does seem to be if you want diesel to have wide acceptance, you've got to you got to somehow handle the price premium. And I think that's a problem everybody faces. I mean, if Mercedes you go, seems to be the only one that's really. I guess maybe Volkswagen has done that too. Yeah, and to be fair, you know, it's a four-cylinder diesel versus this six-cylinder Six. the Audi. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you can all afford it, you're not going to feel like you got ripped off no. if you buy the Audi for sure. Neat vehicle. Now it's time for our lightning round. Our panelists have two minutes to debate trending automotive topics. Uh, when the time is up, you're going to hear the bell. Ding, ding. And here we go. Tires are an often overlooked aspect of driving, whether it's on the track, street, or off-roading. Tire pressure and the right kind of rubber can make a big difference for performance and safety. When are stock tires good enough 
And when is it time to look into an alternative? Well, I can tell you right now, when you've got a foot of snow on the ground, these all-season tires most cars have aren't very they, good. They don't cut it. I was just out in the uh, 328D with all seasons on it, and you can definitely tell that it has a negative effect on it because it's, it's not just when you're driving in snow. Even if there's no snow on the ground, you've got to take into account temperature. When you're getting 20 degrees temperatures that we've been getting here lately, it really stiffens up the tire, and there goes your traction. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, tires are a huge difference. It's the only part of your car that's touching the surface of the road 100% of the time. Um, well, yeah, that's definitely – winter tires will definitely improve your winter driving performance. But I would say in most cases, um, car manufacturers work with tire makers when they're designing the car, and many, many original equipment tires are designed strictly – for that vehicle. So I would say in most cases, you're going to be much better off sticking with the stock tire unless you plan on doing something other than what the car was you know, made for, whether you plan on taking in track days and you want more performance, whether you can do a lot of driving in the rain, you want rain tires, or whether you want to do a lot more driving in the snow. Yeah, if you live in, tires, in the but, northern climes where you're going to put up with snow for you know, four or five months, you might very well want to put on some winter tires. Patrick, anything there? Um, when I was in Iceland driving the uh, Crosstrek hybrid. You don't see many hybrids. From there. Subaru. <laughs> yeah, you don't see many hybrids. Um, they actually had to put, they require, I think, snow tires, something like six months out of oh, the really? year or something and like that. Canada, so, parts of Canada do that, yeah. too. You have to switch winter over to winter tires. Winter, winter tires, tires yeah. yeah. So yeah. We, uh, they actually had to put new tires on the car. Huh. For us. It's one of the problems I have with people that are zooming around with SUVs. They think because they've got four-wheel drive, they can stop and handle, but they've got all-season tires on them, too, for the most cases, and yeah, they hit that them, corner. Yeah, 19 to 20 inches or whatever. Yeah, and, and they're in trouble. So the answer, I think, is for most of the year, you're, the tires that come on the car are probably more than adequate unless you live in an area that has unusually bad winter. Yeah, and uh, go ahead. Go over the nah, nah, nah. Go ahead. Go yeah, over the if, time. And if there, you know, if there's a specific thing you don't like about your tires, you can usually find one. Mm-hmm. You know, that's whether they're too noisy, you can usually find one that's ready to be quieter, stuff like that. So, I don't know. For what it's worth. I think that's. Uh, I do believe that. I mean. Most cases, when people are asking about replacing tires, if you've been happy with the tire that's on your car, you're probably better off going for the same tire. Okay, let's talk about a common question many of us on our staff get this time of year. Uh, With spring around the corner, what do we prefer to drive in warm weather? Windows down in a coupe or sedan? Top down in a convertible? What do you think? Is this really a question, or did we make this up? <laughs> I, I think it's a question that it's come over the transom. Sure, people are interested. In, you know, what do you like? Do you like a convertible? And and answer this without your spouse or significant other in the car. If you're just by yourself, uh, I don't care. I'll drive anything. I mean, <laughs> I'm not a huge right, fan. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of convertibles. I mean, if we have one in, I'll take advantage of it. I'll put the top down. Robinson but. puts on his tank top, throws his left arm <laughs> out the driver's side, <laughs> one arm on the one hand on the wheel, and he's cruising. <laughs> I'm definitely a windows down kind of guy. If that has any relevance, and like in the summertime, any chance I get, you know, it's windows down. But I, you know, I don't care what kind of car, whatever. Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I like windows down, sunroof open. Uh, I really, I don't know why, but I really hate convertibles. I just think they totally ruin the look of hmm. 99% of cars. Um, it is nice to ride in one, but I wouldn't prefer one. So, If you were going to put your money down, you'd get yeah, a exactly. hard top. 
Greg? Yeah, I'm also uh, in, in Patrick's camp. I don't really like convertibles. I, I'll i put the windows down when it starts getting warm because I just like to bask in the ambience of, of the birds warmth. chirping and, yeah. and some warmth. But <laughs> Beautiful. It gets to a point where even uh, even – even still in spring, I'll put the windows back up. I'm just not a huge fan of wind coming into the cockpit. You know what? It's, it seems to me that the cars today are more prone to the interior pressure building uh, yeah, up, yeah, and yeah. you get that thump, thump, you gotta, thump. you got to equalize it. Yeah. I don't know if it's we're driving faster, but I used to – I remember growing up putting the windows down and driving all all day long and not having this, you know, this reverberation as the pressure builds up and it sounds like it's going to break your eardrums. Now – 30, 40 miles an hour, the wind's down, with the windows down, you're gonna, unless you roll all the windows yep. down, yep. you know, it becomes a very uncomfortable. I like driving windows yeah. down, too. But. I think there's just everything's so, more, uh, so much more aerodynamic now, and all the windows are inside, yeah. and, you know. I always like the commercials when they show the uh, the happy couple out, you know, with the top down on the convertible, and they're out, you know, in California or something, zooming around. I'm thinking... I don't. I don't know too many women that would be willing to do that because uh, my wife and I will speak for her, and she's not here. You know, she's often she wants to put a scarf on to protect her hair and everything. And by the time you bundle up that much, it's like, what's the point? Why as well just put the top up? And that's why you got to have neck warmers. That the air scarf. The four series Bentley, yeah. the four series convertible has it. And another reason why I don't like driving with my windows down. I'm sure nobody really cares at this point. When I first started, it's, it's, it's good. Well, Jeez, I don't, don't beat yourself up. <laughs> we all care, Jeez. Greg. Go ahead. All right, well, if you say it like that, um, yeah. When I first started driving years ago, the uh, I had a coupon to years a local ago. ice cream shop, and oh, I was. It was just around springtime, <laughs> and I opened up the windows, and out goes the coupon that was uh, in my. I thought you were going to say a bird came in and ate your ice cream. No, 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 no. Just the coupon, and I never <laughs> redeemed my free ice cream. <laughs> So oh, wow. that is one reason. That always comes that's not the way. <laughs> Come on, is there a well, it was, it was, yeah. That's the worst thing that's ever happened to you. I didn't say it was the worst thing. It's just it comes into mind when I'm thinking, should I put this window down? Yes or no? I don't want to lose my coupon to Hoffman's ice cream. <laughs> Okay, I think on that rambling little comment, we will bring to a close our Motor Week podcast uh, number 95. I want to thank everybody around the table who's had uh, a lot of fun with us today. Producer, writer, and two-wheeler reporter Brian Robinson. I'll get the name right in a year or two. Assistant producer Greg Carlos. And we're going to get you an ice cream cone. (sighs) Not now. We'll wait a couple months. And writer Patrick Lucas. Ew. Our thanks also to audio engineer Jim Bigwood for making us sound more intelligent than we probably are. Our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and podcast producer, again, that old Patrick Lucas down there, the guy with the bell. Thanks very much for joining us. Please sure to catch Motor Week in its visual entirety on both your local public television station and on the Velocity Cable Channel. Please check our listings at motorweek.org for time and station. We want to thank all of our underwriters. We talked a lot about uh, tires today, and uh, we should point out to folks that if they are curious about uh, tires, uh, you know, Tire Rack is one of our sponsors, and they're a huge online Uh, retailer of tires. With that, I'm John Davis. Join us again soon, and thanks very much for listening and watching Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, 
and by Die Hard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motorweek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.